What is up, Reborn listeners? Welcome to the Reborn podcast. I'm here with my co-host. <laughs> you told me to do a tiger. I, every time you do it, it's just like, I feel like I just turned bright red. <laughs> I'm Guys, waiting for the howl. I'm not going to howl. I don't even, I don't even know. I don't even know. Have I actually howled? Yeah. Okay. You did but it. so the difference. Okay. The difference. The difference. Okay. Right now, guys, we are in a we're in a public restaurant at American Brew, and he just roared so loud that I'm pretty sure every single customer down there <laughs> looked up to see what the hell was going on up here. Well, you didn't uh, like the ribbit, so I had to go with the tiger. The inner tiger I, in me wanted to come out. I think we're just going to get you like a press button. So every time yeah. you come on. Almost like a, that was easy. Do you remember those little red press buttons? You put it on the desk and you just press it. And it like, that was easy. No. You don't remember those? It was like from Staples or something like that. I don't. Oh, actually, yeah. The e- push the easy button. But yeah, the easy button. The yeah. easy button. Yeah. yeah I need I one of those only it's a tiger. Yeah, we do. Um, so we have Miss Dana Lynn Bailey who's coming on the show today. Um, she's going to be on the podcast. And this is a really important message for it. It doesn't matter if, if you're a guy or a girl, but um, the resilience that this woman has uh has had to had to face and she is such a testament to the life that she has now and uh staying the course and being true to who you are regardless of how many critics that you have and i think that anytime anybody starts along the the journey and the path to achieve any sort of greatness or anything Um, you're always going to have critics. Yeah. There's always going to be somebody there to point out your flaws or to point out all the negative things. Why do you, why do you think that is that people are so fast to be like, you can't do that? Or, um, like what, like, do you think, especially now, like now like social media, I mean, dude, they're, they're everywhere. And like, I know, I know for a fact that, um, whenever I started my journey, if I would have listened to the first like naysayer, you know, I would have quit a long time ago. But like, what? Like, why is it that people are so quick to to criticize? Do you think it's like a a personal self confidence thing within that person, or do you think that? Mm, what yeah, is it? yeah. I think I think you're you're onto something there, as far as people's people's own self their own self conscience. I would say it's they just don't have that confidence in themselves, so therefore, like, they feel like you shouldn't be confident in what you're doing. So I don't know, maybe that's along the lines of something. I don't really know what I just said right there, but it's basically people don't have the confidence. Blue's had a long work day. Yeah. And you get people, you a bang. People just don't have the confidence in themselves. So yeah. they're just, they're just downers. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy. Cause like I, I personally think that whenever you, whenever you see somebody going out and working towards something great. It's it's almost like you it's like it's like a feeling that like if 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 I wasn't able to do it, like like why should you? 
why should you be able to yeah, do it? Yeah, it's almost almost a sense of like jealousy or vain mm-hmm. or any, something like that. But it is incredible though when you get those people who are the complete opposite or just positive souls in your life. Yeah, you keep, those the, keep those people in your life. You gotta, have the, you gotta have the support. And um, we're, we're gonna dive into to Dana's story and learn about the critics that she had and how the industry and the world that she was in like kept trying to push her out. And um, Blue said it perfectly, like whenever you have a solid, solid support system and a team that can he- help keep you uh, clear-minded and level-headed to just continue to forge that path that you have set for yourself in the first place, you become unstoppable. But um, you you really have to just pull down the blinders and not allow the outside world influence who you are and who you're becoming. Yeah, which, you know, in this case, Rob Bailey being... Um Dana's husband was probably that that positivity voice, and we all know he's pretty loud. So, he is very loud. So yeah. I'm sure he that was a huge plus to have in her corner as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I you know, and I, I'm sure there were times like where she second guessed herself, and he pulled her back to be like, "No, this is this is who you are, and this is what you're doing." Um, so we're gonna bring her on. Uh, she's incredibly inspiring. Um, definitely like a, a, a strong female that I look up to in the industry and just like an overall, just good, genuine person. Um, so we're going to bring her on. We're going to hear more about her story and just kind of learn about how she overcame, how she overcame the critics. So let's bring her on. Welcome to the Reborn Podcast. We are live. My guest today is Dana Lynn Bailey. Um, I like your sweatshirt. Is that the is that the new sweatshirt that just came yeah, out? Yeah, the Neil for No One. Let me see the hood. Rob will have to read it. Rob, can you read it? Dude, I just I I just bought two of those. Read it, Rob. Podcast. You're on the podcast I need, now. I need it in Rob's like screaming voice. Oh though. no, no, Rob. <laughs> is it too early? Yeah, read it. No one is coming to save me. I'm accountable for my future. I'm in control of my reactions to my emotions, my output, and what I choose as my intake. I am here for the fight. I will execute everything around me to the absolute best of my ability. Fuck you. Kill everything. Yeah. I love it. That is some some motivation. Yeah, right? Good morning, everybody. It is the Reborn Podcast. Um, thanks for coming on today. And you guys have a blizzard. You're up in uh, Montana. I, yeah, I love it. I'm so excited. We got like a foot last night and it's still coming down. Um, my uh, my brother lives in Alaska. It's, I have one sibling and, and he's in Alaska and they just got a blizzard. Uh, it was last week. And I mean, it's crazy, especially in Alaska. They live out in Fairbanks, but... They were even snowed in for the blizzard that they had, and that's saying a lot because they're used to like all the snow and stuff. Oh uh, yeah, there. like the kids, like uh, pro- if yeah, it's Friday. They're probably still in school right now. Honestly, they don't shut down really for, like, anything. Wow. I-, I live, we live like kind of up in the mountain a little bit, so there's only maybe four houses on our road. 
So we live off a really long dirt road. So it takes a while for people to come up. I mean, Rob just went to town. He said it's fine. I'm surprised but, Rob's not out there um, with like a, what is it that's that shovels the snow on the oh, front yeah. of your truck? Yeah. Yeah. We, the, we have a, what is it called? It's a snow what? plow. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's snow plow, but we have it on like a, like a little ex- excavator because you kind of need it. And then they're all chained up, but. That's awesome. Yeah. Sick. You got to come out and snowboard. I know, dude. So the closest, I'm in Virginia Beach, and the closest mountain to us is Snowshoe, and it's like five five or six hours. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was actually just uh, talking to my husband, and I was like, hey, like we should just take off this weekend and go and yes. go snowboarding. So I wish it was a little bit closer and I'm really jealous of all the snow that you guys have, but, um, I don't want to tell you how close ours is. I can be on a chairlift in 15 minutes. <laughs> Dude, that is yeah. so nice. The cool you know, where we live, we can actually snowmobile from our house. Cause we live like on the same mountain range as the mount, like as the ski resort. And there's back routes that you can snowmobile to the top of the mountain. Just Dude. strap your snowboard on. It's literally like the sickest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, that's badass. I actually grew up on skis. Like I, I, I grew up in Oklahoma, but I would always go skiing with my family. And it wasn't until um, like maybe like eight years ago, I started snowboarding because I was like, dude, I'm going to get up there on skis. I was like really big into all my athletics and everything. I was going to, I'm going to twist my knee on a ski. And so I was like, we're just going to do snowboarding. And so ever since I've been snowboarding, but it's pretty cool to be able, cause I can still ski and snowboard. And so my littlest guy, Otto, uh, he skis, but the other two boys, they snowboard. So it's fun to be able to switch off from like skiing to snowboarding. Actually, I, I skied since I was two and then switched when I, I mean, I technically switched when I was like in college, I bought a snowboard, but then you're in college and you're broke and you, it's very expensive to go. So I never went. So I actually learned once we moved here. So I can still do both. So we can, you can come and we'll do both. Yeah, dude. It's fun. (laughs) Hybrid. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk to you today, Dana. I think that, um, what a message that I really want to get to the listeners is staying true to who you are and staying true to the path that you're on and the path that you have originally set. Um, I, I think that like, especially you, you see these young girls coming up into the fitness industry and it's so easy to be persuaded, uh, and distracted to leave the path that you're on and try to seek out this different path because you think it's the right way because the world is telling you that it's Oh, and everyone right around way. you is telling you. <laughs> yeah, I uh whenever I first started on like my fitness journey, um Dude, I would like I was a single mom. I was trying to chase what it was to be successful. And I mean there is there's pictures out there of me on the interwebs that like I'm not proud of that I hope that they get super buried and like my boys never see them because I think in the beginning um you know I was just kind of going down this path by myself I didn't have um I didn't have a significant other or anybody to be like oh no like you know like let's do it this way like I was I was on this like road in this path of like survival and like I needed to be successful and the only thing that I knew was fitness and Mm -hmm. so it was almost like I was going to do whatever it took to be successful. 
Um, and I think that's very much the same now for younger girls who are coming up and, and there's so much pressure on the social media world and there's so much pressure from like your peers and you see these other people, um, <clears throat> you know, who have millions of followers and it's like, you're like, what are they wearing? You know? Um, so I want to talk about that because before you were Dana Lynn Bailey, a world champion, Miss Olympia, how how did it start? Because you you're obviously an athlete. You're an athlete. So can we just give like the listeners kind of like a foundation of who you were before everybody knows you now as Dana Lynn Bailey? I mean, that's exactly what I was. I've been an athlete since I've been five years old. Like I was on the swim team at five, waking up just like the older kids and going to practice. Uh, at one point in time, I was a six sport athlete. My parents kind of, even if I did, wasn't really interested in something that kind of like pushed me into it anyway, they wanted me to like try everything. And then once you get to high school, you sort of narrow it all out. So I swam, I ran track, played basketball, soccer, field hockey, swimming, softball. (laughs) I did it all. Anything like that was offered, I did it. And then once I I like kind of narrowed down the things that I was, I liked a little bit more, obviously soccer was my favorite. I went on and played soccer for Westchester University. I got recruited to play. So play, I was just all I did, all I know, (laughs) and still all I know, like is competition. Mm -hmm. It's getting ready for something. It's practicing, it's learning, and it's preparing for a competition. So all the way up through college. And then I didn't get into lifting until uh, college soccer was over. Cause this was the first time in my life that I was like, Whoa, now what do I do? <laughs> so, um, like whenever you were in high school and college, did like, were you lifting weights then? Was that even introduced? Was it a thing? Um, I mean, I, for gym class, like all the athletes got to choose what gym class they wanted to take. And I didn't, like the regular PE, you were in with like all the people that not not they didn't really want to be there. They would just sit there. Um, so I did strength and conditioning, but I didn't. I just remember trying not to sweat because I always had it first block for some reason. I didn't take it seriously, and I wish I did. Mm. But I learned like the super super basics. Uh, but I remember just like hanging out with my friends and I'd sit on the leg extension and then like just sit there and talk. And then when the teacher would look and like quick do a couple extensions, but like learned what, like, uh, learning how to one rep max and all that. Mm. So I learned basics, went to college and you would think even in college, like they didn't take us to the weight room. That wasn't like part of our training. It wasn't like, I think we went to the weight room twice because it was, mostly just for the football team. Like we had to sign it out because we weren't the football team. So we really only got to go. And then it was only like, obviously focused on legs and stuff. What, so what about, I, what about the men's soccer team? Did they get like, was this kind of just like isolated? Like the, the girls just didn't lift or was it just the soccer? Uh, I mean, this lift? is 2001 to 2006. So mm-hmm. back then girls like, yeah, they, I mean, I, I think you were the same age. You're 37. I'm yeah. 38. Yeah. Um, it's a different time. All of last year, I kept saying that I was 38 or 39. And then I just realized that I'm actually 37. 
Actually, what? me and Rob has, have been saying that we're 40 for the last, like, two years because then once we, like, turn 40, <laughs> it's not so bad because we've been so 40 bad. for, like, four years. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that that's crazy. I remember whenever I was in high school, um, you know, my mom's really muscular and athletic. And I was always, I was always like, I was a gymnast growing up. And then I, I quit doing gymnastics and I, I did soccer full time. I did uh, the ODP travel team. Did you do that? Olympic yeah, development? So that's like the one thing. Soccer was definitely my favorite. Yeah. So I played soccer year round on like premier teams. So you yeah. like try out and then you like travel around the world. And yeah, that was yeah. cool. Yeah. And I just remember like, I wasn't made fun of in high school, but I was different. I was different than all the other girls. And even then like lifting wasn't, um, I remember seeing like my mom work out and do like aerobics and stuff, but it really wasn't a thing, um, growing up. And I was like really intimidated to even touch the iron. I remember my very first couple trips to the gym, I would just get on the elliptical and just be like, okay, this is what it is. And like maybe a couple bicep curls, but, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how things have transformed and that, you know, women, I believe for the first time in our generation know the true power of, of what it's like to touch the iron and what yes. it can do to you and not just physically. Yeah. Sure. Being an athlete and striving to achieve that athletic build, but everything else that it encompasses. And then everything around like the female body has changed as well. Yeah. Like I remember I had big soccer legs. You played soccer. So my legs were very big and you used to get, I used to get made fun of for being called like thunder thighs and I hated it. Mm -hmm. Like that was like, there were two parts of my body that I absolutely hated. And that was my chest obviously. And then my legs. And I, there were years of my life where I wouldn't wear shorts. Like it'd be Mm -hmm. 95 degrees outside and I wouldn't wear shorts. The only time I'd wear shorts is like if I was playing sports and like, other than that, it was like, Nope, I'm going to wear jeans. It's like, I wanted to hide those parts of me that I was like super uncomfortable with. And now those two parts that I was so uncomfortable with are probably like the things that I'm most proud of. Mm. And yeah, it's cool to like something that you used to be so insecure about are the things that I'm most proud about. So when, when did the transformation happen? You're, you're going through college. Like, when did you decide to be like, okay, I'm not going to be scared anymore. Or like, because you, you were going, what were you going to college for? Uh, kinesiology, very fitting, uh, health. And, I, I was actually a health and phys ed teacher for six years before, like, I kind of like transitioned out and then like was doing like Flagner fail full time. But, um, yeah, I spent like so many years of my life, like not being comfortable with my body. And it's like, why? Like, like, and you wouldn't think that from someone like yourself or myself, like, an athlete who's superstar athlete, great at everything you do. You think like, okay, there should be just be confident. They're in shape. No, like hated, like hated parts of my body. But, um, once I got into the gym, um, and started lifting and like seeing actually muscles grow Mm -hmm. and getting stronger. I remember the first time I put quarters on the side for bench. And like, I used to call those the big dogs, but (laughs) like, yeah, put the big dogs on. (laughs) Like, but it was seeing, I, I, it was the first time in my life that I actually appreciated 
my body for not only what it was like starting to look like, I appreciated like what it was forming and I was doing that, but I appreciated what it was capable of doing. And like, I never appreciated my body that way before, like being an athlete and being good at all these things. And it's taken me to college to play college soccer. And I didn't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until like that, I guess I was, I was probably still in college with first year I started lifting with Rob. So I was like 21 and, uh, yeah, that was the first time I like started to see delts forming and like was able to do a couple pull-ups by myself and doing a bench press. Like, and you didn't see girls back there. This Mm -hmm. is like, girls are up on the ellipticals. They're running, they're doing treadmills they're doing like, like the compound movements with like the pink dumbbells. And yeah, I was just lifting with the guys and Mm -hmm. it, it didn't bother me that much because I kind of was always sort of like a tomboy, like very, I was girly, but like definitely hung around a lot of boys. So it didn't really bother me all that much. So, so did, uh, did you have a pet possum when you were growing up? No, but I wish <laughs> I've had two. So I probably beat you in the tomboy, uh, category. Oh yeah. Girl, I had like everything. I single. love it. <laughs> no, we just had a dog. We had dog, dogs and cats. That's all we really had. Yeah. So now I get all my fun animals that I wanted. <laughs> yeah, you guys, have, I know you have, I'm actually jealous of everything that you have, all the little animals. Um, well, we'll be getting horses in the spring, just oh, FYI, if you want to come ride. That's, <laughs> uh, you know, I think I should just ride Lola up to Montana. backpack trip all the way up. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So like, you know, you saying all that, it makes me remember kind of um, reflecting back to whenever I started. I actually didn't start my my actual fitness journey until after I had kids. I kind of did it backwards. And um, I was under, like whenever whenever I first started training before my very first fitness show, um, it was... It was after I had my first boy trip and I had actually signed up while I was still pregnant. I was like, oh, I was like, I can do that. You know, you'd get like the oxygen magazine and you'd see like the highlights of like, I was like, I don't know what that is. I was like, but I was like, I want to be that. And I was like, I had never really lifted weights or anything. Um, And there were these pictures of... uh, do you, do you remember the photographer Paval? I think that's how you say his name. Yes. Paval. Yeah. 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 So he shot these girls. Um, uh, and I don't know if it must've been like a muscle and fitness magazine or maybe it was like some ad, but dude, I, and, uh, Paula Nordstrom. Pauline Nordine. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, dude. And I remember I like for years I carried, I believe it was, uh, Pauline. i carried, like I tore out a picture and I was like, you know, and I was still, I still had trip like in my belly. I was like, I don't know. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be this, like whatever that is on stage. I don't know what it is. I don't know what they're doing, but I'm going to do that. And, um, dude. And like, I ended up, I ended up have, I've had all C-sections and then, but that first time that I had C-sections, then I had like the stretch marks. And I was like, I literally thought that my entire body was ruined. I had already committed to doing this show and I'm the same as you. I'm extremely competitive, um, with other people, but you know, especially with myself, I think that's like the mindset of an athlete. And I just remember, I didn't feel like I was worthy enough to get on stage because I had never seen a flaw on 
another female. Like everybody that got up on stage was perfect. Anybody that you would see in the magazines, they they were perfect. perfect. Yeah. And I did I did the show. I I I committed to it. I did the show. I actually ended up taking first place. And it was with uh the OCB organization. Oh yeah. And uh it wasn't too long after that that I ended up linking I actually linked up with Paval and I was standing outside of his studio in LA and I said, Hey, Paval, I was like, you know, he didn't know who I was. I was actually, I'm pretty shy actually. And so I was like, Hey, like, I just like, I have to tell you this, like, I'm really sorry. But I was like, you know, like I've had a C-sections and I've like, I've like had some, you know, and I mumbled, he's like, what do you like, what are you saying? Like speak up. And I was like, well, like I have, I have stretch marks and I just wanted to say, I'm sorry. And he looked at me and he was like, <laughs> apologizing. yeah, he was like, why are you apologizing? He was like, do you know how many girls Aww. I shoot for like the covers of magazines who have stretch marks? And I was like, no, like I had no idea. I was like, you mean that these girls that you shoot and like inside the magazines, like they too have like imperfections. And he was like, yeah. And yeah, so I, I think at that, at that moment for me, my, like the mindset of, of the message that I wanted to put out for women or people who had any insecurities that like, we all, we all have insecurities, right? I mean, you just talked about how you had insecurities and you worked through that. And, um, and I think that a lot of people are intimidated to just to start or they're intimidated because they don't think that they are worthy of having uh, a strong physique or a beautiful, well-built physique. And uh, I mean, you are, you are a testament to like, it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself in the beginning, you can literally transform your body and the insecurities that you feel, it's probably because of the outside peer pressures and the standards of the world making us feel like that we're inadequate. Yeah. Well, there was a point in time. I always tell people, it's like, you can look exactly how you want to look with diet, with exercise. I mean, fuck, if you want to go get surgery, go get surgeries, whatever, look how you want. But if you don't want to take that next step, which I never wanted to, you have to learn how to accept the things that you can't change. And like, once you start accepting those parts, those are the parts that make you, you, those are the parts that make you unique. And I finally like figured that out. And I realized like, okay, these parts make me different from everyone else. And I started to actually like that. And that's why like something like my chest and I, I never, I have no issues with like, I think people like you should be happy with yourself regardless, like whatever you want to do, you should fucking do it. But it's never something I wanted to do. <laughs> My thing was like, I don't know how that is with benching, <laughs> but, but something that was so like I dealt with for so long is now something I'm really proud of. Mm -hmm. And I think it's what a lot of people respected with me. like in the industry, like I would go to, I used to lose shows. It would be, be between me and another person and they would give it to the other person because I didn't have boobs and like that. And I had to deal with that because I got, I used to get marked down for being more masculine. It's like, Hey, we're doing a side chest. I'm the only one that has a chest. <laughs> like, why are you having us do a side chest? <laughs> so, but I find it very like empowering to finally take something that I used to hate 
And now it's like my thing I'm most proud of. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a lot of self-talk. Um, uh, and it wasn't just me, like obviously having Rob with me pretty much the entire step of the way. Like I, I remember the first time I asked, I was like, well, cause like, uh, I was competing in figure at the time and I wanted to do something in fitness and at that point in time, the only way to do something in fitness and be in magazines is like you had to do well at shows and like, that's how you get sponsorship. So I'm here. I am getting dead last because I have too many muscles and I'm too big and I don't have boobs. I finally was like, so do I go get boobs? He was like, do you want them? I'm like, eh, <laughs> like, and I, as soon as you start making decisions based on someone else's opinion, mm-hmm. you've just lost yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thankful that I have a good head on my shoulders and I have a husband that no matter what, during that time, he just like, I love you for exactly who you are. Mm -hmm. That's not going to make me love you anymore. Like, I like what you look like and Mm -hmm. just telling me I'm pretty just the way I am. And sometimes you just need to hear that once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, I still need to hear that once in a while because it's not something once you get confidence that you keep for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's a constant, like you have to work with yourself throughout your entire life. Things happen and you know, social media is one of those things where you're on there, you're looking at all these perfect bodies and all these fucking filters and like, and no one looks like that. And Mm -hmm. you just, you just have to kind of just go with work on yourself, whatever you can do. And then the parts of you that you cannot change, you just need to learn to accept them for like, that's me. That's, that's who I am. I, I love all that, Dana. I think that's so powerful what you said, um, that the moment that you allow somebody else's opinion change who you are, like you've completely lost yourself. And that is exactly. that is so true. And I think that if anybody gets anything from this podcast, those words and what she said, like hang on to that because that is so true. And, and I, I think it can happen before we even realize it because we're so desperately wanting to, to feel accepted or, you know, even when we hit a certain level, we always feel like that we have to keep getting better or changing things about ourselves possibly that just in order to like fit in or, you know, the comparison of, of seeing everybody else who looks like they're living a beautiful, perfect fucking life. And you guys have to stay true to who you are. I think that's so, that's so, so very important. So were you, whenever you were a teacher, were you competing? Like, were you doing, were you like, you were. I, was, I actually, the, I got hired <laughs> and you know, you bring in your like portfolio and I, I was competing at the time and I thought it was like an asset that like, Hey, look, I'm a competitive bodybuilder that like, I'm, I'm exactly who these kids should be learning from. I'm like the epitome of fitness. So at the time, my, uh, principal, hired me. I honestly, based on that, he really liked me. He liked everything I did. Like I, I like you, you, you remember your gym teachers, like they were always like, you know, sort of out of shape. Like all the ones around me were like fat. It's like, and you're teaching the kids about health and fitness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's what you're doing. So through the years, like a different principal came in and once YouTube started, I started doing like YouTube videos and like, you know me, like I'm, I, I've always been fully clothed. Like I wear a sports bra, that's pretty much about it. Like I never, I've never done anything scantily 
probably mostly because I was a teacher for a good part of the years. And like a lot of those kids like still follow me today. Um, but like I used to get, my name used to get brought up in board meetings and stuff because Miss mm. Bailey, Miss, Miss, Mrs. Bailey has a YouTube channel and she works out. It's like, guys, have you watched my videos? Like I'm not doing like, I'm actually teaching people and like, God forbid your gym teacher right. actually works out. Yeah. And you could probably learn something hey, too. You could probably learn something. It's free to subscribe. Yeah. But it, it was weird, but, uh, we had started Flagner fail. So we were starting to like, go to like expos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was constantly saying like, Oh, well I got to call. I would let everyone know like, Hey, I'm going to be out <laughs> sick, uh, Friday and Monday. Cause I'm at the Arnold. <laughs> So like once it it started getting like, just kind of being a hassle. So I finally like halfway through the year, just, it was a, it was a hard leap because my whole family's teachers, like my, Mm. my sister's teacher, my brother's teacher. Like it was sort of like one of those things where it was like forced on you. Like Mm. I love kids. I love sports. So it made sense for me. Yeah. I was like saying goodbye to like safety net. And I think that was hard, but once I did it, I was like, Whoa this is the greatest, greatest thing ever. I had started in order to make that transition because Flagner fail was still very, very new. Um, I like started doing like online coaching and stuff like, so on my prep shift. So I was, God, I don't know how I did it. I used to wake up at like 4am cause I was competing. So I had to do cardio before I went to work. I would go to work during my prep shifts. I was writing diet plans and workout programs for people. Cause I was trying to make money on the side so I could leave. And then I would go home, I would go right to the gym and then I prep and I don't know how I used to do it. <laughs> it was, life was crazy. So I have a question. Um, if you kept getting dead last, if you kept like not even placing, why did you keep competing? Um, because I've, I think, I think most people would be like, oh, okay, well, I guess like they don't like me. This sport isn't for me. Like what, like, what was it? Like, what was it that was like, oh, like I'm going to go back out there and do it again. So you know how like the circuit works. You, you compete on a local level. I, I do great on a local level, go up to the national level. And there were obviously this was at when it was, we only had bikini. Yeah. Bikini figure and bodybuilding. There was like such huge gaps in between. And I looked at the bodybuilders and was like, I don't want to look like that. And I definitely wasn't bikini, but I kind of kept competing because, again, we had started Flagner Fail. We had started a YouTube channel. And I was going to these national level shows. I was dead last. And I'd come off stage and like a form, a line would start to form. Hmm. And I was like, what? And like this because they were following YouTube. So it really didn't matter how I was doing in the shows. People would follow progress, whatever. Was this, this, was this before Instagram? This was before there wasn't uh, Instagram yet, or maybe it just Instagram started. Instagram had, did Instagram start? Yeah. Instagram started probably, I don't even remember when it started, but uh, it was before, right before I switched over to physique. Mm. So the only reason I was competing like it was just giving, it was giving me a date to get ready for something. Cause mm-hmm. I enjoyed, I enjoyed like having a reason to be at the gym and training so hard. It's like, why, like, why am I training so hard for no reason? Mm-hmm. So it gave me something to get ready for. And I realized that, you know what, it doesn't matter. Like 
they're not gonna, they don't like my build. But at that point in time, I, through all the weirdness of loving my body and then throwing myself in the fitness industry and then questioning my body, it was like this back and forth. And then I finally was like, no, fuck them. Like, I like the way I look. I like having shoulders. I like having abs. I don't care if I don't have boobs. So then I was just competing just to keep competing. Like I, I just enjoyed it. Um, and I think the, I ended up and it, it is an expensive sport. I think my last show, I was like, I went into nationals. I was like, okay, this is, you know what? I can just keep doing this. We'll just keep doing the YouTube videos. This is going to be my last level show. Like this is, I'm wasting all this money not to do anything. Yeah. Because they, they didn't have physique then. No. Yeah. Did they, so they had figure and then there was bodybuilding. Yeah. Right. So you so, competed, yeah, was, you competed in figure. Yeah. So yeah. I did figure. Okay. With it, with NPC and then and you, NPC. yeah, I did a couple NABA shows like here and there. <laughs> Those were fun. Like you had to flex in heels, which was so weird. Um, and my last national level show, I think for figure was 2010. Mm. And then there was like word after that show that there was, they were creating this new division. I was like, so once there was like more buzz, I kept hearing about it. And the way they described it was like, it's, it's a figure girl with a little bit more muscle, a little bit more condition. It was pretty much everything they've been telling me. I was like, oh my God, they made this division for me. So, <laughs> so, d- so how much do you think though, honestly, that you had a, a play in creating that division for females like you? I mean, they had to notice, like, I mean, there was other girls like me, like there had, I'm cause all the girls that signed up, I know there was a lot of bodybuilders that like came down to it that just didn't want to be bodybuilders. And then there was girls like me that just were a little bigger, a little more conditioned. Like I remember I used to get marked down for having abs, <laughs> like in figure. I mean, tell me, tell me how that makes sense. Yeah. The evolution of bodybuilding is it's crazy now because physique is what figure is now, but that's just the natural evolution of bodybuilding. It, it is what it is. They, they would have to like start marking people down and go back to square one if they want to go back to normal. But yeah. So the, once I heard the, they were coming out with this new division, I was like, okay, whatever that show is like, they're literally making this division for me. So I'm wherever it is, we're doing whatever it takes. And I'm going there. Like I'm going to get this because then, cause I, I started, I was like, okay, well maybe I'm not meant to be a fitness model. I'm not meant to be in magazines. I'm not meant to do all the, these things. And I was like, but then that was like my shining light. Like, Oh no, wait, you still do have this chance. So, uh, yeah, it was junior USA's 2011, um, in Charleston, South Carolina. And we <laughs> stole Rob's brother's, uh, work minivan and we drove all the way down there. Were you guys, like, we were you in money. Pennsylvania? Were you in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Like then, have, this is when we didn't have any money. So we drove down there. We didn't even have really any enough money to like stay in a hotel halfway. So I remember Rob like saying like, Hey, we just like the, the guy at the register was probably like, Oh, what are they doing at this room? It's two guys and a girl. And they just want it for four hours so they can sleep. <laughs> we wanted to, we were bartering them to like, we're not going to be there for that long. We have to get on the road. They're like, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> we're like, oh, so we who, like, who was, with, them down. who was with you and Rob? Who was with it you? It was just me, Rob and his brother, Drew. Oh, okay. Okay. 
So they lived off of like Snickers bars and I was eating like cold tilapia, like mm. the whole way. And from this point on, since that trip, I have never eaten tilapia ever again. <laughs> Cause it's like all like, all I can think of like is the cold, like gelatinous. Oh yeah. I remember it's, like, all that. It's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, about it. it's disgusting. But you do whatever it takes to get down there. So I went down there and uh, yeah, somehow won my class and won the overall became the first pro ever in history. And I was like, see, they did make the division for me. <laughs> so was that your ticket to go to the Arnold then to compete? At, uh, that or- was my, that, so the way it works since it was still a new division, they needed more pros. So mm-hmm. I was the first pro. So then you have to win a pro show to go to the Olympia and they didn't have an Olympia for, I think like a year after because they needed more pros. So Mm. it took an entire year for them to get more pros. And then, yeah, so I, we, I did New York pro. I remember did New York pro and they told me I was too big again. I was like, are you kidding me? For physique? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what are you guys on drugs? You're like, you're like, guys, guys, I'm tired of hearing this. This is the same response. Like, come on. I need a different answer because look at me. Um, so now, so this time flag nor fail had started. So you guys were doing flag nor fail and you are still competing. You're eating cold tilapia. You were, you were being told, no, you're not good enough. You're not what we want. They created this other division. You freaking owned it. You came home with the first prize. How did how did that make you feel in that moment? After being told like no and you're not good enough and you making you question everything. Whenever you won that show, can you kind of just describe like like how you felt? Like what was your emotion? It, I almost felt like it was just like a relief. Mm-hmm. It was like all this shit I've been putting myself through, all this training, all this dieting, all this traveling and like all that questioning, like, am I doing this? Like, am I actually who I think I am? Because like, I, at first, like, I'm I'm not someone that thinks I'm like this superstar, but Rob's the one that was like, no, like, he's always the one that he sees something and like, he'll do anything to like, make it happen. He's like, he's and like I, your I'm hype more, man. He's like your hype he man. Is, he is the hype man. But I think he always says, he's like, there, there's something like special about you. And then I also have that like little bit of crazy to me because like I will, I can train my ass off. I will diet my ass off. I will literally do whatever it takes to get, because I'm super competitive. And again, with myself and like super athletes are more competitive with themselves than any other person. And I, I am. So I think it was him finally like it was just like a relief. And like, he's put, he put in so much work, like, and I think part of it is people knowing who I was before the show. And like, that's be like YouTube. And like, we were just making sure that we went to shows and I was visible and I was there. He would drive all night to like, take me to the New York pro just to make sure like, Hey, I'm there. You're in front of people. You're in front of judges. People know who you are and like doing YouTube content for me. I don't know. It was just, it was like, it was more of like just a relief. Like, okay, I'm I am doing what I think I should be doing. Whenever he whenever he was driving you guys to shows and stuff, were you selling any of the Flagnor Fail stuff? Where was where was Flagnor Fail at at that point? Um, 
at that point in time, we, I think we had just started doing, like, I remember the first Arnold we did, I think that was before, before I turned pro, we started doing like trade shows and stuff. Yeah. It was just a lot of just hustle, like just that crazy, weird hustle. (laughs) But it's something that we've been doing for forever. We actually had a clothing line before Flagner fail Mm. and we used to just go to car meets and just like put up a little stand, like, (laughs) like sell t-shirts. Like, uh, it just, yeah. I I haven't relived that moment, honestly, in a really long time. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Well, I think what, what's really powerful, Dana is like the, the, I mean, you put yourself, you put yourself out there and you talk about creating like a, the YouTube and the social media, like I can only imagine just the critics that you had. Um, Do you know what? This actually reminds me, you know what my favorite writing is? I don't really have like, you know, people say like favorite quotes or like, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have like favorite quotes or whatever, but one that I, that I always go back to whenever, you know, you talk about being in the grit of it. You talk about being just like, just the hustle and the grind. It's the passage from, it's about the man, the man in the arena. Do you know, do you know that it's, it's <laughs> the, the man in the arena. I actually got to pull it up now. Um, but every, like everything that you have been through and putting yourself out there to be vulnerable, to be open to the critics, dude, if you've never heard this, it's by Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena. Okay. This is you, Dana. All right. Me? Oh yeah. my God. Listen to this. Oh gosh. I hope I live up to it. <laughs> it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and no shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and the who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Have you never heard that? No. Dude, I'll have to text you this. It's called the man in the arena. It's basically saying everything that, it just wraps up everything that you said about people, people, the people who the, your biggest critics are the ones who have never tried because they're so scared to try. And most times, you know, people go out there and like they, they, they have failed and they don't think that anybody else should be able to achieve this because they weren't able to, uh, to achieve the very thing that they set out to do. But that's just a very, very powerful passage. I'm going to send that to you. Um, so, okay. I want to, I feel like I kind of got off track. Um, so you won nationals. And then finally you got your ticket to go to the Arnold. Correct. Olympia. 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 Is Olympia. Yeah. Olympia um, is most important. Arnold's yeah. second most important. I did get yes. there too. 
Yeah. So the <laughs> the Olympia. So I uh, I competed at the Olympia um, NPC on the novice. I think it was like the novice division. Um, on the amateur, right? Amateur, yeah. Amateurs, right? Yeah, dude, that was, yeah, so, that was so intimidating. <laughs> I was, yeah, dude, I was like the only person on stage that like spoke English. Everybody else was like from um, like all over. So many other countries, dude. Yeah. It's crazy. a lot of Brazil too. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, they have like great physiques, you know. Um, nice butts. Yeah. <laughs> they do, man. That's where the Brazilian butt lift. We all know where that comes from. The Brazilians <laughs> know how to do it, man. Um, so uh, I want to talk about getting to the Olympia and knowing that you are getting ready to get on stage to win the title. Uh, how was that leading up to that? Did, have, did you like second guess yourself? Like what your path, your journey, what you'd been through? Like, how was your, like, how was your resolve at that point? Uh, never in a million years did I think I was going to win it. Um, it's funny cause one of my, my goals was just to get to the Olympia stage. It was never to win it for some reason that wasn't like even a thought in my head because at that point, it's like, you're, you're competing against people around the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and here I am little Dana Lynn Bailey, like little natural competitor. <laughs> like I just, it didn't even phase me. Um, you know, you know how it works when you get like first call outs and stuff. But once I, when I was called for like a first call out, I was like, I don't even think I moved at that first point. Like, I think they actually had to call my number twice because they're like hey like get out and yeah. I was like no wait, me are you kidding me because <laughs> I I'm still like it, I was probably still the smallest one on stage because I mean I mean at this time like the, there were probably a good portion of us were still competing naturally like uh, things have changed now mm -hmm. but like I was still like a tiny little pipsqueak like I was very conditioned and that was like my specialty because for me to compete naturally, I, I started 30 weeks out, mm -hmm. like a 30 week prep. It, it's grueling. It's terrible, but it, that's the only way for my legs to come out. But yeah, I remember them calling my name for the first call out. So I was like, no, they didn't say my name. And I, they actually had to like call me out twice. And I came out and I was like, holy shit, I actually have a chance. <laughs> like, like I'm in the top five. But, uh, yeah, hearing like once it get, they like, they nail it down. They like call fifth place and then fourth place and then third place. And I was like, Holy fucking shit. I'm top two. And even then I was like, like, I just remember shaking. Yeah. Like I get like, just thinking about ev like all the years, like just all the years and effort and training and dieting and all the shit I put up with, with, like you were saying with the internet and all these people telling me like, you're doing this wrong. All the judges that told me like, Hey, you're doing this wrong. Like you, you need to go get a surgery to do well. Mm -hmm. And all the, the trial and error. And like, it finally led up to this like one magical moment. And they finally, they like, they called my name black, <laughs> like, first like what like it, it was where where was where was rob at during all of this was he backstage oh, with you or crying front row <laughs> 
Uh, we don't, the shitty part is we don't even have video. Mm. Um, I remember him, he was like holding it, but the whole time it's like shaking, shaking. Cause he's like crying. Someone else like grabbed the camera. Mm. Like the video is like terrible, <laughs> but great and terrible all at the same time. Yeah. But just a lot of, it was just a team effort because like I would, I wouldn't be there without him, without mm. all of his help, without like him letting, allowing me to like, basically make that like my number one job. Like I I was able to leave a full-time job as a teacher, be able to work, be able to create my own schedule. So like, I no longer had to wake up at three 30, four o'clock in the morning to do cardio. I could wake up at a normal time, like six or like six 30 do cardio. Like I was able to create a schedule and that's all because we worked so hard to make Flagner fail what it was and, and like drew hopping on board and helping along the way. We just had like, without having like a team behind you to like, kind of allow me to just focus on this one goal. It wouldn't have been possible. Like after you won, did you, did you experience imposter syndrome at all? Do do you know what that is? Like, did you feel like that you just, I don't know how, like, cause I'm sure it was like a very surreal moment. I mean, after going through everything that you had been through and then all of a sudden it was just kind of like, like, how did, how was it afterwards? Um, disappointing, honestly. Um, did you get depressed? Uh, the disappointment came from all that effort and being number one in the world. And this is 2013. Uh, no magazines called to shoot me. I didn't even get my photograph taken the next day. Uh, I remember Rob actually, like I sat, like we had another day. We're like, oh my gosh, like people are going to want to shoot me. Maybe I'll be out on the cover of magazines. Like this, I still wasn't on a cover of magazine yet. <laughs> like, um, I, I, I think I had just, was I even with MHP at the time? I don't remember. I was, no, I wasn't. I don't remember, but like, it was a struggle. Like I remember, yeah, I was with MHP. They were with me the first year. And, uh, but they like, didn't take me serious. Like, uh, I had to like, it it took a while for me to even get a sponsorship because no one wanted anything to do with me. They just wanted bikini competitors. They didn't know what photographers didn't know how to shoot me. Cause I wasn't like tits and ass. Like I was like, no, I just want to like wear clothes and like train. (laughs) Yeah. But I remember after Olympia, Rob's called, he like, we had like connections through friends of ours of like magazines, you know, so he was calling like magazines, like, Hey, like Dana just won the Olympia. I was just wondering if you wanted to like shoot with her today. Like we're available from this time to this time. And they're like, Nope, sorry. All booked up. And like everyone all booked up, all booked up, all booked up. And I was like, really? So I went to the gym that day and there's these, all these girls getting their photographs taken. Wow. And so I just, what year was this? That year I trained with Mike Rashid. So Mike oh. Rashid was like, Hey, I'm going to be at the gym. I was like, fuck it. Let's go. We'll do a YouTube video with Mike Rashid. So the day after, while everyone's getting their photograph taken, the girl that fucking just won and made history isn't getting her photograph taken. So we made a YouTube video with Mike Rashid. Wow. <laughs> so the following the- year, knowing that like finally things started to change. So I'll like kind of go through that. <clears throat> So 
The first person that put me on a magazine was Mark Bell. Mm-hmm. Power magazine. It's a powerlifting magazine. It's not, it wasn't even muscular development or flex magazine. Power magazine. Mark Bell called Rob. I think he was like, why isn't Dana on a magazine yet? And we're like, I don't know. Like, well, I've we tried. So he put me on and literally uh two like a month or two after that, like finally released, all of a sudden I got a call from muscular development. Oh, Flax Magazine. Oh, Oxygen. Oh, it's like they needed somebody else to do it to realize like, oh, we can put a girl that isn't a bikini model because generally it was like you have your your male bodybuilder and then you have like the cute bikini girl next to him. So I was probably the first girl with muscle that they put on a magazine cover, but I think it was all because Mark Bell did it first. That's crazy. What year is this? What year are we at right Uh, now? 2013 into 14. So 2014, we decided like, Hey, instead of letting that happen again, we did a Porsche tour. So Drew, Rob's brother was getting married in North Carolina. So we shipped our two Porsches out. We had just bought and we shipped them out to Olympia. And then when Olympia was over, I think we trained the next day. Uh, I think I actually got phone calls. I got second place. Didn't matter, but got phone calls like, Hey, do you want to shoot? And we're like, Oh no, sorry. We're leaving for Porsche tour today. So instead of, instead of everyone else telling me, no, Mm -hmm. I got to tell everyone else. No, Mm. sorry. And instead we drove our two Porsches cross country back to North Carolina, stopping at gyms along the way. And there were, there were lines like seven hour lines at gyms sometimes. And we'd stay there all night, sign it. Like we train with everyone and then stay all night and just meet people, hang out, take pictures and wake up the next day, try to be at the next gym that we're supposed to be at until we made it to North Carolina. So that was a a cool feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I think like also too, and, and, you know, comparing that to like the first year that you had, but making time for the people who have supported you the entire time and being able to have that human connection with those people was probably so much better than just being able to shoot with these photographers and getting uh, like your pictures on the magazines or. um, Exactly. It was probably one of the most memorable like highlights of my life, like literally feeling like an absolute rock star, like showing up to gyms and there's lines wrapped around the building of people like screaming, like, and it's like just a really cool feeling, but it was just a a cool decision that we made based on the year prior, Mm -hmm. like feeling like almost let down from that. And then just return, like, turning it around and making it into the most positive thing ever. How was it? How was it with like sponsors and endorsements kind of leading up to the Olympia? Like, were you, do they have like any, like spot, like any companies you said that you were with MHP for a while? Like how, yeah. how was that? You know, you talked about like the photography and like the magazines, but how was it with like, a like, you know, endorsements and, um, brands? It was weird. Like, uh, it, I, it was a struggle. So I think for the first Olympia, I was with, um, I was with a company, um, but it was a struggle, like trying to get with, like even becoming the first pro in history, like 
I would go to companies and like still at that point in time, they like, they didn't want me Hmm. or they just wanted, they didn't want to pay me Mm -hmm. even though I'm producing tons of content. I'm doing YouTube videos. I'm very active on social. Like, like I'm a great asset, but, um, they, they spent all their time with like the male bodybuilders. And then like girls were sort of like this little afterthought or like a little side piece. And, And most girls like didn't get paid any money. There was very few like, and you also have people that were so willing to just do it for free because they wanted the validation factor. Like, Hey, I'm with a supplement company that like, Hey, just pick me up and give me supplements. But I always valued myself way higher than that. And so finally I did find a company and they were great again. Like, I don't think they took me as seriously as I think they should have. And after the Olympia, um, we had started, we had started transitioning and we created our own line anyway, Mm. um, which was really cool. And there was a bunch of, bunch of companies that used to tell me no a lot (laughs) and were very, did not want anything to do with me. Um, uh, I remember they emailed Rob saying like, Hey, we want to talk. So we like sat down with meetings and they offered me like, actually ridiculous money. And I got to turn them down be like all these years that I, I wanted to be with you. <laughs> and now you finally are catching on, but now I can tell, you no. Uh, that's the cool part. That's yeah. like the cool feeling. And I think so many people don't realize how valuable you are. And like, I, I want to be able to wear my own clothes. I want to say whatever I want. I want to have full control. I don't want some other company to like basically make me into like a puppet and like wear this, you have to say this, you need to do this. So, so, and then we ended up in created our own line anyway. So like looking back on all of that, what would be something that you would say that you're most proud of, of yourself? Like that whole, like that whole journey, if you could, aside from like, obviously you were true to yourself and you, you never gave up. Is there, is there like anything else like within those chapters and the pages that you continue to write about your story of feeling like the world was telling you that you failed, the world was telling you that you weren't acceptable. The companies were telling you that you weren't acceptable, but you continue to stay true to who Dana Lynn Bailey is. I think that's just really what it was. It was staying true to myself, who I was (laughs) physically and like personality wise. Like when people meet me, I'm exactly who I look like. When you see pictures of me, I look like that in in person. I act the same. I'm weird. I'm goofy. I'm a little off and I I love dancing. I I just never put on some front Mm -hmm. to try to gain followers. I didn't do anything to gain extra followers. I didn't take clothes off to gain followers. I didn't change my body or get surgeries to gain followers or to do better. So I think that's really it. It was just honestly sticking to my guns, sticking to what I was comfortable with and what I liked about myself. Mm -hmm. And just instead of doing it for anybody else's opinion or doing it for followers or doing it to win, I did it for myself. And I think if I had changed any part of me, I don't think I'd be where I'm at today, maybe close, but I don't think I I would be where I'm at if I did 
if I changed any part of who I was. Like I remember judges used to tell me to grow my hair out. I was like, but I like my hair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like what does hair, what does hair have to do with it anyways? You're judging my physique and my muscles. Yeah. Like I get it. You like long and blonde. Cool. But uh, Mm -hmm. that's not me. (laughs) Yeah. What what I have learned over the years that, you know, like now doing business and the fitness stuff and is that there are times that it is a very, very lonely journey and it can be very lonely sometimes. And what I like to remind people is that like, this isn't, this isn't anybody else's journey except for your own. Like this has to be a journey, whether, you know, if somebody's listening to this and you, you guys are like wanting to maybe start competing, maybe be the next Miss Olympia, you have to realize that, that it's, it's a lonely, a very, very lonely journey sometimes. And you have to be willing to walk at it alone and know that it's just part of it. And you got to keep your head down and you got to keep grinding. Um, what is like, if what, what is like some advice that you would give somebody who they probably already have like a social media account, but they're wanting to, you know, I don't know, get into social media or get sponsored or get on the stage? What is like, what is, I don't know, something that you would tell somebody? Be valuable. I think the most important thing is add value to people's lives. Like I, it's hard for me to post. Like I remember when just starting Instagram, you you felt like you had to post just to post. Mm -hmm. And I, I no longer do that because when I, when I post something like I want to add value to people's lives in some way. So, and it's weird. Like the things that I find that add value, they don't do as well, <laughs> And but I, I feel better about posting them. So like, I like posting workout stuff because it's valuable. Um, so just adding value, adding free value, uh, giving out information, like obviously YouTube videos are amazing helping people learn about training or your specific training. It's, it's giving out valuable information that is going to help one, make your YouTube grow because if people are getting information, they're going to keep coming back. Like, Oh, Dana's going to post another like workout video. Cool. I'm going to come back, keep coming back. Um, supplement companies see that like, Oh, okay. You're adding value. People are going to keep coming to your channel. Now you can add value uh, by talking about like, are these, these products and how you use them? I think the biggest thing is adding value to people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And two, I think everything that you touched on is just staying true to who you are and don't allow, don't allow other people, other whatever to be a distraction and, and to kind of like veer you off of your path of, of where you're going and, and what you've set out to, uh, to achieve. So let's fast forward to present day. When was the last time you competed? Oh, so sad. I think it was like, uh, the Arnold 2015 really? was the last, yeah, last hmm. uh, bodybuilding show. I needed a break. Um, again, something that I, I've talked about a bunch of times, but like bodybuilding is like one of those sports, like it, when you do it for a while, it changes you. Yeah. And it, it changes you uh, just the way you think about your body, the way you think about training, the way you think about food. And after doing it for so long, like I started to like get to that side. I I think I'm one of those people that I still had a really good 
head on my shoulders. I know after a show, I can't continue to look like that. It's not mm-hmm. healthy. It's not possible. Um, but I still, I treated food a little bit differently. I treat, I treated training a little bit differently, like me being sick this week and not going to the gym for six days now. Like I would be bonkers. Like I would probably, I probably would have made myself sicker trying to still go to the gym because it was like, you almost, I wasn't, it's like that, that mindset of like an anorexic, like you, you do whatever it takes. Like you're just so zoned in. I wasn't like, I was obviously eating food constantly, but it's that like obsession, like obsession, um, with training and with food. Like sometimes like Rob and I would go out to dinner and this is like off season. I go, we go out to dinner and eat whatever, eat uh, dessert. And then I would feel so guilty that sometimes mm-hmm. I would go home and like get on a tread, uh, like get on the mm-hmm. stair mill mm-hmm. or the next morning, like double my time on the stair mill. Like, mm-hmm you get a little cuckoo. So I needed a break and that break just kept going and kept going and it's just still going. <laughs> it's just, dude, there's, there's this one time this had to have been my very first show. Um, but I was so nervous getting ready. I must've been like in my hotel room. And of course, you know, I'm doing everything myself. I didn't know what to expect, dude. I'm not even kidding, Dana. I used, uh, I, for, I don't know, even know how this happened, but on one of my eyelashes, I had the eyelash glue and the other eyelash, I, 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 I swear this is, I can't make this shit up. It was permanent glue, dude. I put permanent glue on my strip lash. And so, you know, after you, so after you train, it's like, oh, you get to go. This is my first time ever. Like I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know that like you can't go out and eat a whole pizza afterwards because you're so depleted you gain so much weight right after so I did dude I did what everybody like should not do my very first show and I just like it was almost like I couldn't stop eating like the like the next 12 hours after my show and I was just like eating eating dude I went to the gym uh that next Monday morning girl I still (laughs) had one eyelash like stuck to my And my girlfriend that I was training with, dude, I was like super bloated. Like my fingers were like like humongous. Dude, I remember she looked at me and she was like, girl, just go home and take a break. You need a break. And anyways, I'll I'll never forget that. I, I, you know, and then I was like, I felt like I was like depressed for a while because I didn't know how to eat. And I was like, nobody told me about this part. It's like like the un spoken like depression yeah. that mm-hmm. happens post-show like you get yeah. post like it's so true because yeah. like it takes 30 weeks for my body to get to this point and in one day it's gone mm-hmm. like how does that math work <laughs> but yeah like we've all been there where after show you like eat too much and you're so swollen and then yeah there's like a weird obsession with food where you can't stop but over the years I started learning. It's like, no, like I, I enjoy myself that night. And the next day I have to, I get back on like regiment uh-huh. until I can like tailor myself down. You sort of have to like reverse diet yourself. So yeah, there's a lot of things that like people need to know beforehand. Right. But, yeah. yeah. Like, like the, the, it continues to go on after the show's over. Like you oh, still like have the, to, yeah. And the depression is like a, a real thing. Mm-hmm. Cause like, you're so used to what this body looks like and you eat like a little bit of sodium or a little bit of sugar and like 
your body just changes. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So and, it's and, and to deal with. And two, like, I think that you're so focused on this one goal, like anything that I, that I've ever done that I've, I've been training for. It's like, you're so your your whole day, every hour of your day, your plans thinking your, about it. Yeah. And it, your life revolves around that. And so it's, then it's like, you get there and it's like the pinnacle of everything that you've been training for and it's over. And then it's like, you've in a it's second. Like, it's like you feel lost and yeah. like, and then you're like, and now I'm like, I look like a little, uh, Oompa Loompa here. Yeah. <laughs> and so, okay. <laughs> exactly. So what, like, what is it now? You know, you talk about like how competitive you were and, and you had years of your life just focusing on this one goal of achieving what you have achieved. And so what is it now? Like, like where, where do you feed that competitiveness inside of you? Like where, where, where is that outlet? Cause you're, if you were competitive then when you're six years old through college ball, like getting on stage, where is that? Like what are, oh, I'm surprised you're not doing dog sledding. It's still there. Um, it's something I've been sort of battling with like since stopping. So Immediately after, like the following year, I started getting into powerlifting. Mm. I ended up, uh, I did like a powerlifting meet, won it somehow, <laughs> then went to nationals, did well enough that I went to Arnold. So I ended up and I went to Arnold the following year, but as a powerlifter. But like I tried filling that competitive void and then just tried to do like a different sport. Um, but uh, powerlifting, I did it like the powerlifting is not for me. It's not for someone that's. Um, normally you start as a power lifter and then you turn into a bodybuilder. You don't go bodybuilding, then powerlifting. Mm -hmm. And I'm, all, I was already at like in my thirties by that time. So everything was hurting. So yeah, like two years of powerlifting did that for a little bit. And then just started, uh, focusing more just on my business. I started my own, um, training site, which I hadn't before. It was just generally like I was working with run everything. I was working with Flagner fail. So I finally like launched my own thing, my own source of revenue. Um, and it's something I'm great at training. <laughs> like yeah. it's something I love to do. Yeah. Who would have thought? Um, and people always want to know, it's like, how, how do I look like that? Well, this is what I do. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not hard for me. I literally just write down what I do every single week and people seem to really enjoy it. Um, the last like, uh, two years, uh, I think we started last year, um, doing challenges, which I never did challenges with people before and really seeing people's bodies like transform is like now, like my motivation. It's like, wow, like I'm helping these people, like they're doing it, but like mm -hmm. they're following my workouts and like it's working. So I, I really enjoy that. I, I think within the last year I've, I've given away almost $45,000 to like winners and stuff. So like, that's really cool. It's changing people's lives. Like being able to call someone up and like, Hey, you just won $10,000. And like that, that's like a really, really cool moment for me. So all that work, all that fucking hustle and grind for the last so many years. Now it's like paying off that, like I can help other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just my main focus and my main drive. Um, there's still something in me that thinks I'm going to get on stage. Mm. Maybe like when I'm 40, so mm. like as a milestone, like, Hey, look at this 40 year old on stage. <laughs> Dude, you, you know, you <laughs> but, would crush it. You would crush it. You know, 
it's so it's so advanced, but I feel like I feel like there's still every year I'm like, maybe this is the year. Maybe I just try it one more time. But uh I got diagnosed with Graves disease two years ago. So like mm. been trying to figure that out. It's like a it's a hyperthyroid thing. So I I lose weight really fast. Mm. Um, so I was on remission for about a year and then it came back. So just handled that now. So maybe if I'm like healthy for an entire year, we'll, we'll try something like there's definitely something that I I want to do like competitively, whether it's, uh, like running a race or trying a different sport or doing like a, like trying out for like a, I won't get to the games or anything, but like trying CrossFit or something. Yeah. Well, <gasps> Who knows? I, I do know. I do know one thing is that like the the drive that you have, the competitiveness that you have, and most importantly, the work ethic and the discipline that is instilled within you. There's no doubt that anything that you go out and you set your mind to, like you're going to be great at. And I think that that comes from like years of just discipline and putting in the work and getting up even when you don't want to. Um, so people who like with your training, how can people sign up for that? And can you like give everybody an idea of what the training looks like? Like, should they oh, be at like, who's it, it for? Like, what it is, is it? It's intense. Okay, give, give me, <laughs> so give me a sample. Like, give me a sample. Uh, so I used to do website based, um, which I just, uh, launched with, uh, an app. So it's through playbook. So I'm on there, but uh, if you go to dlbdailyapp.com, it will show you exactly how to sign up. Um, Super easy. It's very user-friendly, beginner to advanced. And then you just follow exactly. That's what I love about the app. It's like the workouts right there and the videos right there showing you exactly what to do. Um, And then, um, yeah, we're doing a challenge right now. starts on the 10th. So it's an eight week challenge. Pretty excited about that. Um, and you just follow the workout. So obviously I'm a very bodybuilder influenced. So it's uh, a six day like training split with like Sunday being off. Uh, but it's like a chest day, a back day, two leg days, a shoulder day, which is my favorite day and uh, arms and abs. And then I give like, there's cardio sections, there's an entire nutrition guide to follow, but it's a lot of reps. I'll give you that. If you've ever followed me, it's a ton of reps, a lot of supersets, a lot of tri-sets. I do a lot of like little circuit training in my workouts. It's, it's a ton of volume. So it's always starts with like a huge compound movement. And then it's about a million other sets and reps after that. Mm. <laughs> but Yeah. Not easy. What what happens on like what do you do on days that you don't feel motivated? Because I know for me, like there's like That's some days question. that I just like I'm just like I like just really which I think this is really interesting and a really good point that um that people need to understand is that people like Dana and Bailey, I can only assume that like motivation isn't like a switch. It's not like an off and on button. You can't like wake up and be like, okay, time to be motivated today. Just yeah. flip that switch. Like what are some techniques that, cause right now the beginning of the year, I'm sure everybody's motivated. I'm sure everybody joining your challenge, like they're going to be freaking motivated to be like, let's go. Yeah. But how, like what happens when the motivation's not there? Like what happens when you realize that, oh yeah, like the support that I had, like they're not there anymore. Like, 
what do you do? What are some... I get that question all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think people get confused with motivation. Um, It's not motivation you need. It's discipline. Mm -hmm. Motivation is just the cherry on top. If you actually are, (laughs) are motivated, that's like, oh, it's a bonus. Yeah. Shoulder day. I'm more motivated. Like on leg day, am I, do I want to go, go through a grueling leg day? No, no. I'd rather, it's a lot easier just to sit on the couch, watch TV. It's like, I think you actually just posted something. I just, cause I was on Instagram. You just posted something about this. It's like, you need to have everything in place. So when that motivation's not there, you still do all the skills that you need or all the tasks that need to be done to get the get to the goal you need to be at. Mm -hmm. And I always said, like, you don't need motivation to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. You need discipline. Mm -hmm. So once you have that routine and it's all about developing a routine that you stick to, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I thrive in routine. So right now this week, not being in any routine, I haven't been to work. I haven't been to the gym. I haven't done cardio. So I like, I'm going bonkers Mm -hmm. because I love regimen and I love routine and I thrive in those kinds of situations. So if you can build yourself some sort of routine that you stick to every day, that day where you're like, Oh, I really don't go. You still go anywhere anyway, because it's, it's part of your day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it feels weird that you wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. So develop discipline, not motivation. You can try to find, I mean, it's like watching people's YouTube videos. That's why we're on Instagram and stuff. Like if watching other people work out and like just scrolling, sometimes like just scrolling through internet and seeing other people, it's like, oh yeah, I should go to the gym. Like sometimes that does help, but like, even if that doesn't help or your training partner is not there, when you don't have the motivation, the discipline is always going to fill in its place. Motivation is just the cherry on top. Amen. I couldn't say it better myself. Um, so like, what's next for you? What's next? Oh, what is next? That That's like, besides, you, besides you, getting out of the blizzard, uh, probably snowboarding today. Uh, <laughs> I cannot not stay home on this day. So I probably will go snowboarding. Uh, no, it's right now. My, my main drive and focus is just with this challenge right now. Uh, I'm constantly trying to add to DLB daily. So adding different features and different programs, um, constantly trying to make that as best it can, as best it can be. But there is that like that competitive void that I'm missing that I need to feel like, like that satisfaction in myself. Like I need to be doing something bigger Mm -hmm. and greater, like, I think this is great and helping people is great and being able to like, I'm going to be giving away $10,000 in eight weeks. And like, that feels so great. Um, but there is something I, I, I just, I haven't quite found it yet or put my finger on it yet, but mm-hmm. there will be something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to ask you one final question. Um, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? I mean, I think it's everything we've pretty much focused on today is, is staying true to yourself. Um, showing people that like when everyone around you is telling you you're doing it wrong, if you believe in what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you can literally do anything. Like I should, I should not have been Miss Olympia. There's no way, like I shouldn't have been there. Like that's not something that this person 
should have been able to do. And no one thought I could do it. And everyone pretty much was telling me, no, there's no possible way, or you need to do this and you need to do it this way. Like the, the way fitness works and the industry works, you know, that like, there's a, there's a good direct route that you can take, but I refuse to take that direct route. Cause I, I didn't like conforming. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm very good at being like, I like doing things opposite of everybody else. So I'm just proud of me not conforming and me, me like by not fitting in, I almost created this new standard um, for women uh, that have muscles and are proud to be strong and confident and don't need to look this certain way. And I think that's the biggest focus is just focusing on yourself, being proud of yourself, mm-hmm. uh, believing in yourself, and you can do some really cool, sh- really cool things mm-hmm. without the approval of anybody else. So basically, guys, what she's saying is just be a rebel. Yeah, be Defy a rebel. Defy everybody. Like, whatever yeah. they say, just focus on yourself and be a rebel. Yeah, be a rebel. Well, listen to police, though. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Listen to the police. Listen, listen to the, yeah, listen to the authorities. But other than that. Listen to the authorities, but everyone else, that. <laughs> I love that. Is there anything else that you want to, that you want to say or that you want to add to the, to the podcast? No. In you, closing? Probably my most favorite podcast I've been oh. on in a very long time. Oh, You've thanks. made me like, like kind of remember things that I haven't like thought about in a while. Cause it, mm-hmm. it's been a while, like yeah. 2013, that's a really long time ago. 2011, that's a really long time ago. And when you're not in that moment, it, so it was really cool to like kind of be back in that moment. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Appreciate thanks. this interview. This was yeah. really fun. Yeah, I think I'm always down. I know. Well, you know, like life, like we're just life right now is just so fast. Like things have just, it's like, you know, it's like the days can be long. The weeks seem long when you're working towards a goal. It seems like you can never like, it's so far away, but it's, it's so easy for us to just to get to one place and to be like, which is probably what's happened to you over the years is like, you've, you got it, you achieved it. And then all of a sudden it's like you pivot and you're like, okay, what, what's next? Like, what's next? This is what we're doing. You know, this is how it's going to go. And then you don't really have time to To like live in the moment for a second. (laughs) Yeah. Or to go back and just like open up those chapters and to be like, like, this is, this was my journey. And this, every single person that told me no, every single critic that I had, they are the reason like why I am here today because I refuse to quit and I refuse to give up. And so yeah. very, very powerful message and a very powerful story. I'm sure that you've heard this a lot, but you should definitely write a book. Oh, well, if you have any uh, ghostwriters, let me know. I don't. Anyone but, listening that wants to write my book, yeah. I am not a good writer. Dude, neither am I. Thank I goodness. To, I have lots to say, but I can't put it into words. Yeah. Thank goodness for a spell check. But even like spell check sometimes can't even huh. like fix my words for me. I'm like, well, I'm like really <laughs> fucked. <laughs> All right, girl. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate yes, it. Yes. And I hope that you keep feeling better and get out there on the slopes and go make a snow bunny or thank something. You. Thank you guys so much for joining me on today's podcast with uh, Dana Lynn Bailey. So many amazing takeaways. And just a reminder for all of us, uh, 
to just stay true to who you are and stay on the path that that you are paving for yourself and don't allow anybody anything or anyone uh, to come along and tell you that you're not good enough or that you don't belong because you have to define that for yourself and you have to define what it means for yourself to be successful. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Reborn podcast. Um, make sure you subscribe if you haven't subscribed, if you if you loved this podcast, if you liked it and you felt like it was, um, if there was any great takeaways, just share it and um, tell your friends about it. Leave us a review, follow the podcast and we will catch you next week.